Welcome to the Elevate Orthodontics Podcast with Dr. Lance Miller. Each week, we bring you interviews with the top minds in the orthodontic profession in order to heighten your expertise, boost your motivation, and raise your skills. Join us as we help doctors take their practices and their lives to the next level. And now, here's your host, Dr. Lance Miller. Welcome to the Elevate Orthodontics Podcast. I'm Dr. Lance Miller. It's a pleasure to have you with us again for another episode. We're here on the 30th day of April, the last day of the month. And I'm excited because we had a great day in the office today, a great way to end April. We started the year a little bit slower in our office, but we're able to have a great month and kind of catch back up and get back on track to meet our goals for 2018. I'm also excited because we have the AAO coming up, and I'm leaving on Thursday to go there. I haven't been to the AAO meeting since it was held in New Orleans, so this should be a great opportunity to see what's going on with some of the companies and vendors that work with us and partner with us in orthodontics, as well as to catch up with classmates, uh, listeners of the podcast, hopefully hear some good lectures, learn some things, and I'll be there with my family as well, so we'll be taking in some of the sites of the capital city. So we're really looking forward to a fun weekend, a busy weekend, but it should be really great. Our guest on the show today is Leanne Peniche, an orthodontic consultant, someone who I think we're going to learn a lot from, someone who I've always been very impressed with and I'm excited to bring to you today. We did have some technical difficulties doing the interview and making the recording. I think we got it cleaned up and edited nicely and I'm thrilled with how it turned out. Before we get into the interview, we'll have a quick message from the sponsor of today's podcast. This podcast is being brought to you by 3M Oral Care. Join us at the American Association of Orthodontists meeting in Washington, D.C., booth 419 to experience a world with clarity. See the latest products from 3M and learn the latest in digital workflows and aesthetics from leading orthodontists in the 3M booth. Stay tuned later in the episode for a special offer from 3M. Today, our guest on the podcast is Leanne Paniche. Leanne is someone who I think many of you are familiar with. She's a frequent speaker at many of the orthodontic meetings we attend. She's an orthodontic consultant who has been working in the field of orthodontics for more than 30 years. She's the founder and president of Peniche and Associates, and she's earned a reputation as one of the country's premier orthodontic consultants. She specializes in case acceptance, scripting, marketing, and practice systematization. Thousands of orthodontic practices have experienced firsthand her creative outlook, her years of experience, and her proven track record of success. Leanne's life has been committed to providing orthodontists and their practices with the tools and systems for their continued success through lectures, in-office training, as well as her trademark treatment coordinator intensive workshops and the exclusive Office Management Academy. Welcome to the Elevate Orthodontics podcast, Leanne. Thank you for having me. I've been very excited about this opportunity to be able to share with you. Great. Tell our audience a little bit about yourself. How did you get started in orthodontics and what made you want to work as an orthodontic consultant? Well, I got started in orthodontics when I was 17 years old. Um, It wasn't a plan. I was literally driving down the street with my father and he asked me a question about what I wanted to do and I had to have an answer. And so... There was a woman that was walking down the street. She had a white uniform on it. She was standing in front of a dental office. And I said, oh, I think I might want to work in the dental field. And my father sent letters to three of his friends at the country club. And one of them was an orthodontist. And he sent a note back saying that he would love to interview me and give me an opportunity to work in his office. So that's how I got started in ortho. It wasn't a master plan, (laughs) but that's where the door opened for me. 
At what point did you decide to, I guess, branch out from working in an office and work with doctors in lots of different offices? Well, that actually happened over the course of several years. In the mid-80s, I was working with an orthodontist that participated in a management program called Paradigm. When we would go to the meetings, I was intrigued by everything that they were teaching. I love the spirit of the meeting. And through that, they asked me to go on faculty. So I managed an office. I was on faculty with this management company. And then in 1989, an orthodontist who was really struggling up in Los Angeles, he had been in practice for 11 years. His best month was $12,000. I spoke with him and offered to help his practice. He said, I can't afford a consultant. I said, well, I'm not a consultant, but he was going to quit being an orthodontist. So I just asked him to schedule as many new patient exams as he could. And I asked him to pay for a hotel room for me because I lived in San Diego. And I drove up to LA and went into his practice. And the first day I was there, we did $28,000 in production. And then there was a phone call that night. It was a conference call and conference calls were brand new. Back then in the 80s, you didn't have the conference calls that we have now. So it was a big deal to be on a conference call. And there were about 30 doctors around the country on this conference call. And somebody said, did you hear what happened in Chuck's office? This little girl came in and this is what she did. I was the little girl. And the next day, my phone started to ring. (laughs) That's how Paniche and Associates, you know, it was born that day. We've had my company since 1989. That's a great story. So how many offices have you, you know, visited in your time working as a consultant? Well, we've worked with over 3,000 practices, 800 as private clients, and the balance have been offices that we've been in representing Align Technology or Orometrics. Um, We've worked with both of those companies. Align Technology back in 99 came to us and said, we have this technology and doctors are coming to listen about it, but they won't turn in any cases. So they came to us and said, how can we get this to be mainstream? So we were the training department for Align Technology, though I wouldn't go into the corporate veil. I kept my company separate, but we did all the training for Align from 1999 to 2006. We left Align Technology because I didn't want to train general dentist on orthodontics, but I absolutely love the technology, love the product. And then we did the same thing with Orometrics. They wanted it to get it into the hands and get people to actually utilize the technology instead of just learning about it. Sure. So when you put all that together, it's been actually over 3,000 practices. So maybe then we'll start with this question. You've worked with all these orthodontists. You've seen the strengths and weaknesses of these different doctors. If you could pick one personality trait or you know one characteristic that would be the most important for a doctor's success, do you have an idea of what that might be? I do. It would be to have that philosophy to give more than you get. Don't chase the money, chase the person, take care of people, not patients. The doctor that focuses on doing things for the right reason, you know, I've always said the money will come. Yes, you have to have a great business head. But if you go into it and you're counting your pennies and dollars in the beginning, you'll be disappointed. So it really is the doctor that opens his doors, wants to be the brand, be the name in the community wants to give back to their community, not be a taker. And again, you know, we have very different business models out there, but all of those models, the ones that I see that are the most successful and enjoy their life, enjoy their practice, 
are the ones that approach it about giving more than they get. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that's a great insight. Orthodontists obviously are always focused on new patient acquisition. You know, either doctors are looking to grow their practice or they realize, hey, you know, my entire office here is going to turn over in two years. When we're looking to improve or maintain the number of starts in our practice, would you rather see the conversion rate increase or driving more exams through the front door? Obviously, both are good. But how do we think about growing the number of starts, you know, when we kind of have those two different levers we can pull? Well, when a client calls me, so many times they're asking or they're saying that they want more new patient exams. And I say, you know, do you really want more exams or do you want more production? To me, it's a little bit of brain damage to go after more new patient exams if you're only going to start 50% of them or 58%. The national average is 53 to 58%. I say take care of the people that walk in the door. Teach your team how to do that. Start more patients and now go get more patients. I say focus on the case acceptance first and then maximize the patients that start and go get some more patients. Others will say just more, more, more new patient exams, but you're only starting half the people. And to me, that's negative marketing. You'd rather convert more of those people and have more people leave your office with a good impression. Right. And if they have a great impression, they're going to refer their friends and your exams will increase. You still have to do the other things. You still have to, you know, give back to the community. You have to have your SEO in line. You've got to have your professional relationships, be involved in the schools, have a good neighbor program. You still have to do all of those things to build more new patient exams, but it seems a little bit brain damaged to start half of what's walking in the door. Our philosophy is that when somebody calls your office, they've already decided that they want to have a beautiful smile for themselves or their child. So they're already at yes, they're at go. When people don't start treatment, it's because of something we've done. They didn't change their mind. And what we're looking for is a case acceptance of 80 to 85%. I mean, nice, clean numbers. There's no smoke and mirrors in the numbers. It's a nice, clean 80, 85%. And so I'm still allowing 15% of the patients not to start treatment with you. I'm not going for 100% because that's not realistic. You might have some months like that, but that's kind of an up and down. But the patients that call you, they're already at yes. You'll have some that will move away before it's ever time to have treatment because they're too young to start. And by the time they were 12 years old, the family's moved away. So that's going to take, you know, a couple percentage points. And some people, it's really not in the cards ever, but a practice can do 80 to 85%. And I'm glad you mentioned people calling because we usually do our new patient conversion based on, you know, exams to start. But clearly there is this opportunity on the new patient phone call. And I think it's kind of this abyss that most orthodontists don't really know anything about what goes on at their front desk. Do you think we are losing new patients on the phone or is it because we're missing calls because we don't have enough people to answer them or the right hours? Or is it because we're just not training our people on how to handle those calls properly? Tell us a little bit about the phone call itself and then how we need to be looking at that or analyzing that? Well, there's really two parts to it now because the landscape has changed so much. It used to be the new patient phone call was the first point of contact. So at that new patient phone call, it has to be memorable. We are creating that experience. We want to be trial closing to know where we are. We want to be endorsing our doctor, making sure that the caller knows that we love who we work for, that we're excited. We want to educate our caller that we're a specialist We want to enroll brothers and sisters during the new patient phone call, and we want to identify obstacles. So all of that happens in about five minutes. 
So the new patient phone call, it sets the tone. It builds the excitement. The other line that's happening now is we have, you know, the ortho chat. We have the chatters out there. People go online and you've got chatters that are representing you. So if that is true for your practice, you want to make sure that that first point of contact, their communication, their training is amazing so that you don't have somebody who's so excited that on a Saturday night that they are online with one of your chatters and that person doesn't represent you well because they still have to build the excitement, answer the questions, educate with the end goal is to schedule an appointment. The sweet spot for a new patient exam and case acceptance is three to five days. So having a patient make a new patient phone call and be seen within three to five days. The farther we go out, the more likely they'll either go for a second opinion or they'll miss the appointment. And it doesn't mean their desire has decreased for a beautiful smile, but other priorities may have popped up, especially if you're booking out three, four or five weeks. You got to get them in the door to be able to do the exam. Yeah, yeah. We definitely find that to be the case, especially with adults. Do you think that means that you're going to need maybe some, obviously some more manpower in the TC area, which maybe means that those people aren't booked solid every single day, but you have the availability to see people on shorter notice? Well, there's, there's a couple ways that we're handling it now. Again, it's a different world out there. One is the exams themselves. You know, we can do virtual exams now. We can do the traditional one-step exam. We can do a TC-only exam where the doctor isn't, doesn't come into the consultation, but the doctor is there in the office. The new patient actually meets the doctor during the tour. The doctor does the diagnosis and the treatment plan, but the TC goes in and presents it. And that's not something that you can just say, oh, one day, you know, we're going to do this. That has to be very well orchestrated, scripted. It's a well thought out plan when we're going to do a TC only exam or a virtual exam. And we identify during the new patient phone call what patient is appropriate for that. You want to know your patient. You want to know your caller. Is this appropriate for them? And when we can do that, if it's a virtual exam, we don't need the doctor in the office. If it's a TC only exam, then I'm maximizing my TC time and I'm maximizing my doctor time. So that exam could be 30 or 40 minutes instead of one hour. Now I can see more exams per day. The other thing that I would add is during the school year, having the patients come in for a new patient exam between 9 and 12 is tough. But if the office will offer an incentive for an in-betweener exam, exams in between certain hours, then mothers will take their children out of school, drive across town, and come to see you at 10 o'clock in the morning versus waiting for the four o'clock appointment. So I think that there's many, you know, different systems and technical things. Orthodontists, I think, love to get into the systems and, and these sorts of things. It seems also that some of the most successful practices, they have simple systems, but they just have this excellent culture. The vibe in the office is awesome. And it all kind of flows down from there. And, you know, I've been to offices where as soon as that patient walks through the front door, the choice is already made and the closing in the TC room is is easy because everyone just wants to be a part of what's going on. Is that something that either you have or you don't? How do you go about creating that excitement in your office? The team has to be aligned behind the doctor's vision. And how you create that team and you create that vibe, that goes all the way back to when you're recruiting people to join your practice meaning recruiting team members. The doctor has to set the bar early and either people step up or the doctor gets to step down. It's always the doctor's choice. 
I say don't step down. So if you're very clear about what your vision is, you're going to put the systems in place. You're going to put the verbal skills in place. You're going to reward your team well. You're going to high five it. So when you walk into those practices that have got that great vibe going, that's by design. It's not by accident. They didn't just stumble across some great people. It's they have great systems that support that. And they communicate that every day. So the doctor walks the talk. And I do think that a lot of it does come obviously from the team and also, like you mentioned, from the doctor. When the doctor is in meeting with a new patient or the family, are there things that the doctor can do to make it easier on their TCs? Like, what are the things where you see a doctor and you're like, yes, you just paved the way for your treatment coordinator? Or what are the mistakes that doctors are making you know, at the new patient exam when they're presenting treatment or communicating or meeting new families? The mistakes that I would see a doctor make would be, number one, not listening to their treatment coordinator. So when a treatment coordinator brings the patient back and she does something that we call as a meet and greet, where she's asking questions, identifying obstacles, trial closing, and she goes out to brief the doctor, she needs 100% of the doctor's attention. And the treatment coordinator has to be able to communicate in about 60 seconds the strong area to focus on what the doctor needs to do or say when the doctor goes in the room. What's true about this family? What's important? And the doctor needs to listen to that so that when the doctor walks in the room, the doctor knows what bullseye is. The doctor knows what to say and how to communicate with this family. And let's pretend that a patient didn't want to have any teeth removed. And the doctor sees that, yep, I'm going to have to slip some teeth out here. The TC would have communicated that they didn't want this. And if you have to do any extractions, then you need to give them the why behind it. So the TC's job is to tell the doctor the strong area to focus on, the obstacles, and the patient's readiness to start. The doctor's job is to listen to the treatment coordinator and follow that coaching and communicate to the family, you know, in the voice and in the tone that is appropriate for them. So that's where I see most of the mistakes is when the doctor doesn't listen. The other part is when the doctor stays in the exam too long. I don't believe in a two-minute exam. If you're going to be present, if you're physically going to be in the room, be in the room. Realistically, 8 to 12 minutes is what we say. Eight minutes done very well. The patient's experience is much longer. They don't think it's eight minutes. They think it's, you know, 10, 15 minutes because you're spot on. But a doctor will go in the room, sell the case, buy it back, sell the case, buy it back. So many doctors don't know how to leave. (laughs) So teaching the doctor what to say (laughs) is very important. You know, let's take a look together. This is what I see. And then tell the patient what your treatment plan is, what your treatment time is, thank them for coming in, and then turn it over to the TC. Yeah, I've got a great and experienced TC, and she definitely isn't afraid to give me the look when it's time to leave. So I appreciate that. And (laughs) your other, your first point, I totally agree with as well. You know, when, when my TC comes up to me and says, here's this family, here's what's going on with them. And then my question is always, what does this family need? What is it that these guys are all about? And, you know, everyone's is different and and going in and trying to mirror that energy or share that concern that that really goes a long way versus me coming in and just kind of blasting out whatever I think needs to happen. So you're a good student. If you're listening to it, you're getting your job done. (laughs) The one thing the doctor needs to say when they leave the room that's really important is they need to turn to the treatment coordinator and tell the treatment coordinator and the family, you know, we're ready to rock and roll. We're ready to get started today. They need to give the go. 
if the family didn't understand anything else the doctor said, but if the doctor says the word started, we're ready to get started, that's going to help the treatment coordinator. Even if we've done our best, obviously we, we can't start everyone that same day or even schedule them necessarily. What do you think is kind of an appropriate package of information to give people to go home with? Or, or what should the TC be doing in a follow-up system? Do you think that you know, that's something where we can go back and save a lot? Or how do we design our, our follow-up? Well, no today is not no forever. And they're not mean, awful people that said no to you and will never come back. No, today's not no forever. It's just no right now. If we've done everything from having a great new patient phone call, a great confirmation call, we welcome the patient when they walk in the door. We did an amazing tour and we talked about the people, not about the stuff in our practice. We had this great meet and greet. We briefed our doctor. Doctor went in, nailed it, did a great job in the consultation. TC presented treatment. TC presented finances. And we're still at no or we got to know one way or another, then she's done everything that she can for this patient and this person at this moment in time. So her follow-up is typically the first follow-up, and it's based on why we receive the no. Dad's out of town, or they're going for a second opinion. She's going to follow up in three to five days. And there's lots of software programs out there now, but... I'm a believer that you do telephone calls, you can text, and you can email, but you're going to communicate according to this person on how they want to communicate. But I do believe in the, in using the telephone. So we're going to make a call three to five days. We'll make a note that we've made that call. If we don't reach them, we'll follow up again with an email, maybe in seven days, again in a text. We will rotate all the way around. It starts out in the beginning in a short amount of time, and then obviously it's extended out. You know, it might end up being three months. But our belief is that we don't inactivate a patient unless they move far, far away. They go into treatment with somebody else, or they say, don't ever call me again. Otherwise, they stay in our database. Am I calling them all the time? No. If I go a year without any communication with somebody, then we put them in something called long-term pending. And then they're just getting mailers from us. They're getting their inner email database. If we have any type of celebration for National Orthodontic Month, we're doing a pass-through savings. If we have new technology, a cause to celebrate, then I'm still going to have them in my database and they're going to get that information. And every treatment coordinator will tell you she's had patients come back from three years ago, from four years ago, from seven years ago. And that's why I, you know, no today is not no forever. It's just no right now. Right. The goal is to minimize the number of no's you're going to get. Yeah, that certainly seems to be, obviously the highest conversion is going to be, you know, the day of, and then it's going to drop off from there. But I agree there's a long tail there where you can find some starts and it doesn't require that many starts before that turns into productive activities. You know, you know, orthodontic case fees being what they are, you can invest some time there and, and some resources. And even if you get one or two starts, it easily pays for itself. If a practice has a large amount of pending, they went and they pulled their files and they saw they've got, you know, 15 pages of pending. The best thing to do is stir the pot, send out a mailer, send out email blast, get everyone on the phone, do a pending party and get your team on the phone and calling patients. And you just want to stir the pot and start getting it moving again. We don't walk away from it. These patients, they took off work, they drove across town, they came to see you, 
They took off work, drove across town, picked up their child, brought her in. And the most valuable commodity in life is time. And people don't give up their time lightly. So as long as we all stay with this person was at yes, that they don't take their children out of school, drive across town, come to see you, have everybody look at the child's crooked teeth. And then when the TC says what the fee is, the mother doesn't look at the child and say, oh, we can't afford this. You know, you're just going to have to look like that for the rest of your life. Parents don't do that. They were at yes. So an obstacle happened. We have to identify it and remove it without being a salesperson. So if we can get everybody in that mindset, your case acceptance will go up. Right. I agree. Let's talk a little bit about marketing. I know you help doctors with that as well. And it seems like marketing is having a system and working that system, you know, that you've got to be some creativity, but it's also a lot of execution. Do you think that doctors need to be hiring a separate marketing coordinator or can the existing team take care of marketing? You know, I always hate it when things get so busy in the office and marketing gets kind of put on the back burner. It seems like that really needs to to be a kind of constant top priority. It used to be that we would have a marketing coordinator and she was the lady that made pretty baskets. So that would be somebody's mother and she would go make these pretty baskets for you and she would deliver them out to different general dental offices. We've come a long way since then. Marketing and sales, that's a state of mind. And everyone who works in that practice needs to understand that they are part of sales and they are part of marketing. When you hire them, you set that bar. You don't want to have an assistant who says, oh, well, that's her job or that's the TC's job or that's the front desk job. No, everybody is part of marketing. So when a practice reaches a certain dollar amount, then we're saying, yes, you should have a designated marketing coordinator leading up to a certain size of practice. Then we usually divide the marketing by committee. We divide the team up into committees. One committee is an internal working with the patients, your alpha moms, your contests in the office, right down to, you know, your, what your reception room looks like. That's all part of marketing. And then you have part of your team would be external. That's in the community. That's your good neighbor program. That's your schools and your scouts. And then another part of your team would be your professional, working with your plastics, your pediatric dentist, your general dentist. So when the practice is, let's say we're under $2 million, we can usually do marketing by committee. And depending how quickly that practice is growing and how many locations the doctor has and what their vision is, determines when we can afford to have a full-time and we need a full-time marketing coordinator. But the marketing coordinator, if she doesn't understand that her job is to bring in new patients and to get that phone to ring, then she doesn't understand her job. She should be a new patient addict. She lives for the new patients. It's her crack. (laughs) Right, right. What about goals for the practice when we're trying to keep our, our staff engaged? How do we think about bonus systems or in our office, we kind of do these unannounced bonuses. They're, you know, different amounts when the office is doing well. I've, I've always been kind of reluctant to set up a established system unless it's something small, like how many reviews can we get in the next 90 days or something like that. But, you know, how do we keep our staff engaged with some sort of incentive system, I suppose? Well, when you're starting games, first of all, I don't call them bonuses. I call them games. A game has a beginning and an end. If you put in a bonus, it's very hard to take it out. So I prefer that we have 12 games a year. It's called January through December, and there's a new game every month. You don't have to put in a new game every month, but 
your team is paid, they go paycheck to paycheck. So it's hard for your team to do a three-month game. I'm not saying it doesn't work, but what's more attractive when you start out is to put something in that is understandable to all, and it doesn't focus on production or collections. I don't like your team looking at every patient as if there are dollar signs on them. So I usually say put in a, uh, the first game, having it be about starts, and we call it BAM, bare-ass minimum number of starts. So let's pretend you were averaging 30 starts a month and you're, you had a low case acceptance. I might say, all right, BAM is 36. So when we hit 36 starts, everybody gets $100 and $10 for every start after that. That's a simple game. You can play it for one month. And your BAM number in August is not going to be the same BAM number as you would have in September because there's different cycles of, you know, larger months and quieter months. So we try to minimize those soft months, but realistically, the summer is going to be stronger than the first weeks of school. So I'm a big believer in playing games. And why I like it to be on starts is a TC, you know, she gets a contract sign, a financial coordinator enters a contract, a scheduling coordinator, she schedules starts, and clinical assistants put brackets on or place aligners. They understand a start. We can all relate to a start. And so everybody contributes to that. If you make it on production and collections, typically your clinical team just look at your financial coordinator, treatment coordinator, and say, did we hit our bonus? Did we hit our number? Because they're not actively involved with it. They don't understand how they contribute to it. So I love to have games on starts. I like to have games on new patient exams. I like to put in side games. I'll put in a side game for a scheduling coordinator if I have so many exams seen this month, she will get that. Right. And that way she's working to schedule the exams this month instead of letting them slip out to next month. But I love games. I grew up with games. I had a father that raised five children on games. So I'm all about it. Yeah, I think that's great. So if a doctor is listening to this and they, they're kind of not sure you know, where they want to start with the practice, if they call a consultant like yourself to come in, what can they expect? You know, are you taking the lead from the doctor in terms of what they need help with? Or do you want to come in and say, let us do a diagnosis and tell you kind of where your areas of improvement should be? How does a doctor think about bringing a consultant into their office? I can't speak for other consultants. I can just speak for our company and how, how we do it. When somebody calls us, it's an interview process. They're interviewing us and we're interviewing them. I would imagine all consultants, we want to have good students. So it starts with what are their goals? What do they want to have happen? I'm asking questions about their new patient exams, their start number. Do they do early treatment? Do they provide rewards for their team? You know, what hours and days do they want to work three days a week? Do they want to work five days a week? And that's where the conversation starts. When we walk in the door for our company, we walk in and we bring in whatever we've agreed to with the doctor. We bring it in live hands on. So we work elbow to elbow with the staff. We don't come in and do a seminar. We say, let's do this together. We're in all of the exams. We are part of the meet and greet, the briefing, the treatment presentation, the financial presentation. We have a certain way we do morning meetings and game boards at the end of the day and how we ask patients for reviews. So when we work with, you know, and I, again, I can only speak to us. When we work with an office, you know, we didn't get where we're at if we weren't producing some pretty amazing results out there. 
we just try to determine, do we have a good student here? And if the doctor appears to be a good student, you know, while I'm doing that interview and he or she is interviewing me, then they're going to get a great result. We exceed their expectations. Very rarely do we have a misstep that, you know, we weren't the fit, we weren't the right choice, or the doctor's goals are different than initially the conversation was. An example would be if somebody called me and said, you know, I'm doing a three-step exam, I want to go to a one-step exam, Leanne, and so we go through this whole process to put the one-step in, and then the doctor says, you know, I really do like to do formal consultations, I don't want to do a one-step. Well, there's nothing wrong with that, nothing, but I'm not going to get the same result. We kind of just went in the wrong direction. So again, that's very rare. <laughs> well, I think this has just been such a fantastic conversation. Let me finish with this question here. You know, we've talked a lot about new patient process and, and getting people to choose our offices for their orthodontic treatment or their child. But how do we keep our focus also on our existing patients? You know, we're bouncing from chair to chair. We're moving around the office. Do you have any advice for Dr who says, I want to keep my focus on the patients that I have and not lose track of the existing relationships in my office? Well, number one is we take care of people, not patients. Having everybody understand it's not the four-inch box. It's the entire person. It's not just their mouth. So what I teach, do I get this often? Um, I, I really wish I had more clients that did what I'm going to say right now, is I don't believe that you should approach a patient when they're reclined in the chair, unless they have cheek retractors in. I think that if you want to take care of people, then that chair is sitting up and you walk around to the front and you say hello. It shouldn't be that you approach them from behind and they're in your lap and you're looking down. That's something that differentiates your practice. When you say goodbye to a patient and you're done working on them, you know, the chair should go back up, say goodbye, you know, a shoulder tap. Say something positive, make a difference in their life, be the best part of their day. If doctors, and especially with the changing landscape out there, if doctors will maintain that, that will differentiate who they are versus maybe a, a mobile orthodontics down the street or a $49.95 practice when your practice is $6,000. Those are the things that are memorable. And when a TC does a tour and she walks through your clinic and your patients, your new patients are feeling that and seeing that difference there, mom's willing to pay more for that. Every parent wants their child to have a great childhood and going to the orthodontist is part of that childhood. And it's the most rewarding part of my day is when I am able to make those connections with people. And despite that, sometimes I get distracted and I'm, and I'm busy working on some project or I'm, you know, have to take a phone call or I'm on my email or, or whatnot. But when I can say, look, I've got to be there, I've got to be spending time talking with patients, connecting with them, talking with parents. I come home at the end of the day feeling much more energized and satisfied with my day's work, but kind of the challenge is to keep that front and center. Well, the money is how we keep score. That's all. And when I started out, I said, you know, focus on the people. Your patients are people. Focus on the people and the money will come. Do the right things for the right reasons. Right. And yes, you have to have great systems. And yes, you have to watch everything and keep your scoreboards. But if your core values are that, you're going to do very well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Leanne, thank you so much for your time on this conversation. If people want to get a hold of you, if they have follow-up questions or want to learn more about your company, what's the best way to reach you? They can call 
So I'll give you our number. It's 503-666-8538, or they can just hop on our website. They can email us. We'd love to chat. Probably the easiest one would be Leanne at PanicheTeam.com. Great. Again, Leanne, thank you so much. This has just been a fantastic conversation. I just want to thank you again for your time. Well, thank you. I really appreciate the invitation. And as I said, I've been looking forward to this and I'm available if anyone has any questions or any suggestions. Always open to suggestions. This podcast was brought to you by 3M Oral Care. If you're not going to the AAO 2018, but would like to learn more about A World with Clarity, attend the 3M event Excelair September 15th and 16th in San Diego, where you'll hear about the newest products from 3M and learn from fellow orthodontists how to turn change into a competitive advantage. To sign up, visit go.3m.com slash elevate and use promo code ELEVATE to receive 25% off. Again, that's go.3m.com slash ELEVATE, promo code ELEVATE to receive 25% off. Thank you for listening to the Elevate Orthodontics podcast. For more episodes, subscribe on iTunes or visit our website at elevateorthopodcast.com. Tune in next week for another great episode.